Good morning and grace to you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ as we're stood for the purpose of hearing God's word. Let us hear it, God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word from the first chapter of Acts. I'll be reading from verses 6 through 14. Let us hear God's word together. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power, and in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Thus far the word of God, and let us go to him in prayer together. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for your holy servant, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the precious gift of your beloved spirit. And now we ask your blessing as we open your word, that you may open it to us, and that you may light upon our hearts to reveal the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, making us fit by your grace to serve you this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I truly appreciated the missions moment this morning from Susan and Scott, and as uh, some of those stories of missionaries, some of which I'd never heard before, and, and some which were uh, familiar and bring, brought back good memories, uh, as I remember being uh, inspired and encouraged uh, to consider the Lord's call uh, upon our lives as our family has uh, taken a call uh, to serve overseas. And it really, I think, highlights one of the questions that we uh, come to when we come to this passage of Scripture. Perhaps some of those missionaries that were listed this morning might have asked themselves when they first arrived uh, on the soil of the, of the lands in which they were to serve the Lord, they might have asked, what are we doing here? Or perhaps you can relate in our own context here at Grace Presbyterian Church. And through all the changing events of life and some more recent changes, you may be asking the question, what am I still doing here, serving the Lord? What is the Lord's call upon my life? And what is my purpose and my mission as a member of this body of Christ? I know that the same questions ran through our minds and continue to run through our minds as we face new challenges in our, in our family's experience, as we face changes in our churches. And it, it, it helps us, doesn't it, to come and focus on what does Christ say is our mission? What does Christ say about why we are here?
together. And I want to consider this question in three ways this morning. First of all, the mission of the church, taking that from uh, verses one, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Secondly, we, if, if, if we have a mission from Christ, we need power from Christ to accomplish his mission. And that's in verses 8 through 11. And then thirdly, if, if Christ has given us a mission and a purpose and he's given us power, well, then we need to be praying about that mission. And we need to be praying for the Lord's enablement, his power at work in our weakness in, in verses 11 through 14. First of all, the mission of the church in the eighth verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Whenever I think about this question of what is the mission of Christ and the mission of us as his church, I'm reminded of a book written by the late Edmund Clowney, who was a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And he wrote in his book, The Church, that the mission of the church is one, but three aspects. First of all, the mission of the church is to worship God. Second of all, the mission of the church is to nurture and care for and build up God's people. And then thirdly, the mission of the church is to be a witness to God's truth to all the world. To worship God, to nurture God's people, and to be a witness to God's truth to all the world. Well, are these scriptural ideas? Well, let's take a look. In John chapter 4, verse 23, uh, this is where Jesus was encountering that woman at the Samaritan well. And he said, the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. And catch this part. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. This is the Father's heart. This is the mission that the Son received from the Father to, to go out to the lost and to seek and to save those who were in darkness and in sin. The Lord Jesus was sent because God loved this world so much that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And the way that the, the Lord Jesus saves us is to reconcile us through his shed blood on the cross and through that free offer that whosoever will come to him, he will give the right to come into the family of God, to become a child of God and be an heir of all his riches and of all his graces. The Father sent the Lord Jesus to gather such, to, to call upon his name. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that we were, uh, we, we were once not a people. But now we've become a people. We once had no mercy, but now we've received mercy. And we've become a kingdom of priests and a, and a household uh, uh, for God's own dwelling so that we might declare the excellencies of his praise. And so we are so thankful that God has sent the Lord Jesus, that this is his mission. And so too, have we been called to follow Jesus, to share in this mission, and as we follow Jesus, we're led into the very embrace of God our Father. And we call upon Him and we thank Him. But also to worship God's people. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the, to the saints saying, encourage one another and build each other up. He talked about 
the church being a body that is differently gifted. We're not all the same, but we all have a similar, we all have the same mission. We all have the same Father. We all have the same faith and the same Lord. And so in that faith, we all do what God has equipped us to do, specially and individually, so that corporately, the body is built up in love. And the Lord Jesus made every provision because He's given us the instruction of His Word. And as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, that the Lord Jesus, having ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and what does that have to do with us? Well, it has everything to do with us. Because from that position of honor and authority and power and riches, He has given us, His church, every spiritual blessing and every equipping that we need. And we receive those graces as He instructs us by His Word and as that Word is illumined to us by His Holy Spirit so that each of us are prepared and built up and encouraged to do what God has called us to do to serve Him. The Lord Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love the sheep. I want you to love the sheep in this way. I want you to feed them. I want you to tend to them. And if that was the calling upon Peter as one of the leaders of the church, well, then there's an application for us all, whatever our role is, to feed one another, to care for one another, to build one another up in God's truth. And that leads to our third, is that not just do we worship God, and not do, do we just care for one another, but we have a mission beyond these walls, as it were, beyond uh, the, the, the people that we are rubbing shoulders with in our church context, but those that we rub shoulders with in all of our lives. And so we have our text here in Acts that Christ has appointed us to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now we know that uh, this primarily, or, or maybe we should say, first of all, consists in a witness of our words. You know, we have to speak truthful words that come from the Scriptures and uh, that are full of light and truth. But there's more to what Jesus is saying here when He says, I'm appointing you to be my witnesses. He says it's not just our words, but it's the wholeness of our lives. It's our being dedicated and devoted to the Lord. Our being set apart as a holy people that are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In other words, it's not just what we preach, it's also what we practice. That a holy message is to be accompanied by a holy living. And this holy living is to have that character of Christ's love and of His peace and of His joy, and of His kindness. That not only are they to hear the words of the shepherd, they're to see the, the lifestyle and the, and the spirit of the shepherd living in us. John Howie, wrote, writing in his book about uh, some of the great Scottish preachers, uh, remarked that next to the downpouring of the Holy Spirit, the, what, what is it that causes the work of the gospel to flourish and to really take root and find that uh, soil in which uh, a harvest is, is found? Well, he says it wasn't just good preaching. It wasn't just faithful uh, doctrine. It was 
a simple and holy and exemplary life of the whole church, not only to those who preached it, but those who heard it. And it's, isn't that what the Lord Jesus said? All the world will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. And that's, the, that's, the, that's where the reality of, of Christ is impressed upon a world that is numb and indifferent. It's when they see the warmth and the life and the conviction and the seriousness of God's people that there's a, there's a reality, not just in the words, but in the life of the church. We were meant, weren't we, to proclaim and to receive a felt Christ. And that is God's calling upon us. Not only to proclaim Christ, but to wear Christ. To put off the old and to be putting on the new. Titus chapter 2, Paul says, Adorn the doctrine of God with a holy life. We were washed by the Word and cleansed by the Spirit to put on the new man. And so if we, if we see this is the mission of the church, well, then it's the mission of missions, isn't it? Missions is not something that's just done by missionaries or church planters or pastors or, or elders or deacons. No, no, the mission of the church, the mission of Christ has to do with the whole body of Christ. Each of us doing what God has called us to do, each of us responding to the word and the call of God upon our lives. Romans chapter 12 says, For as there is one body, so there are many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And he goes on to say we've got different gifts according to the grace given to us. If prophecy, then prophesying in proportion to our faith. If serving in our service to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So when you think about the mission of the church, think about it not just as something that missionaries do, think about it as something that every, every member of the body of Christ has a call of God upon your life. Well, if this is our mission from Christ, well, also we need God's enablement and his power. And we see that in verses 8 through 11. But he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, what is it that God has sent us to do? Well, we've just discussed some of those things. But how is it that we are going to do it? When you think about the task and the, the call and the challenge, it's formidable if we were to undertake it in our own strength. In fact, it's impossible. The Lord Jesus calls us to do the impossible, but he calls us to do it in his power and in his strength. He said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. He said through the prophet Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but through my spirit declares the Lord. He is the Spirit of Christ. He is the one who was another comforter sent from the Father and the Son to be our, to be our advocate, to indwell us, and that through him Christ continues his work in his church. Didn't the Lord Jesus prepare us to expect that 
If we relied upon ourselves, we should expect failure. But if we cling to Him, if we abide in Him, we should expect that to the degree He's pleased, we will bear fruit. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But He said, I have appointed you. I have chosen you so that you may bear fruit and that your fruit may abide. And Jesus told so many parables about the kingdom of God, and so many of them have different meanings and different aspects, but the parable of the mustard seed tells us that it begins small, but it becomes a great tree in which the birds of the air take nest and take shelter. And what we see is that God's mission, Christ's mission, will not be thwarted. It will not fail. There is the certain success of the gospel, and there is the certain triumph of the kingdom of God and his redeeming all of his people. He says, I have, he has not lost none of the sheep, and he's calling us into his harvest field to have that great privilege of calling and extending his call even to the ends of the earth. For this reason, Christ sent his spirit so that we who are naturally weak and naturally discouraged and distracted and, and uh, anything else that would keep us from following him faithfully and with vision and clarity, he says, I'm going to send my spirit so that you will not fail, but I will triumph through you. When his spirit abides with us, we commune with the one who is at the right hand of the majesty on high. God never fails. And because the Holy Spirit is with us, we shall not fail in his mission. Yes, we know we're earthen vessels. Often we come to the challenge, we we go to the place of service, and immediately we're confronted by our limitations, our sinfulness, our foolishness. We're confronted by the hardness of men's hearts, the indifference of the world. And we might ask, what hope do we have? How can we go and make disciples of all nations? Well, remember this. Be encouraged by this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. When he goes before you, the victory is already in hand. Before you go and take the the theater of conflict, he has already established victory. Remember Moses and the battle in which he raised his arms, and that, that raising of his arms was a, was a sign of his prayer and his intercession. And as long as his arms were raised up, the Israelites prevailed over their enemies. Well, think about this. Because the Holy Spirit is with us, it's a consequence of Christ being seated at the right hand of God. And as effective as it was for Moses to raise his hands in intercession and there was victory for God's people, consider that Jesus, in a greater way, stands there as our intercessor. And as long as Jesus is there, just like Moses' uplifted hands, the church will prevail. The Holy Spirit will continue to do what God has sent him to do. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, Psalm Psalm 68 says. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. You know, you always go for support. You think, well, I need somebody to support me who's stronger than me, who maybe has more influence than me, uh, who, can, who can get a, a result. Well, where do we rely upon for strength? 
the sanctuary of God, the throne of God. And so he is the one who gives power and strength for his people. And it says in verse 9 through 11 that this is one of the reasons Jesus ascended to heaven in order for, to send us on this mission. You think it's kind of a, maybe a counterintuitive thing, at least to us. Why would Jesus leave if the mission is to continue? And the answer is, where has he gone? He's left, this, uh, he's left every sense of weakness, and now he's in power. Now he's in glory. He's left so that he could be more with us. He said in, in John's Gospel, I have been with you, but I will be in you. And so the fact that the disciples, is, he said, you should rejoice that I'm going to the Father because you may not see me physically. There'll be a time for that when I come again. But right now, I'm going to be more with you, with you in a way that supersedes the way I've been with you already. What a wonderful encouragement, isn't it? You know, have you ever wondered, uh, you know, I really wish... I had something tangible to know that God was with me in this difficult mission, in this difficult trial that I'm, that I'm facing. Well, be encouraged that Christ is more with you. He's with you by his spirit and in power. And we can take encouragement as these disciples did. Now, the disciples asked an interesting question. They said, Lord, at this time, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? And the way that Christ answers kind of turns it on its head. And uh, if I can paraphrase or uh, seek to interpret what the Lord is saying, he's, he's basically saying it's not that the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel. It's actually the other way around. Israel is going to be restored to the king. And that's why you need to be witnesses because the king is calling all men First of all, in Jerusalem, but it's going to go beyond that to the end of the world. The king is calling all men to be restored to him. And that's what he's called us to do. To go out to the highways and the byways. To proclaim the lordship of Christ. To proclaim that he is victorious. He is risen. Risen indeed. He has canceled the debt of sin. He has nailed it to the cross. He provides life to the uttermost. He cannot be de defeated. And none can be defeated who trust in Him. And you can be restored too. You can have this hope and this life and this victory. Come to the Lord Jesus. Come to Him who is gentle and lowly, who's, who sets aside the burden and the weights that we could not carry ourselves, the burden and weight of our sin. And He invites us into His embrace and to, into the Father's love. And it is from his greatness above that he does this. He speaks to us who are here below, who struggle, who sin, who need a Savior, who need his peace. And he calls us then to look up to him for power, that we might leave aside all of our sin, all of our excuses, all of our foolishness, all of our ex uh, excuse-making, that we might call upon him as Lord, that we might yield up ourselves to him and say, Lord, I want to follow you in your life and in your salvation, and I want to follow you in your service, to be your witnesses. And so help me, as one restored to the king, 
to be about the business of seeking to restore others to the king as well. And so if this is our call as the mission of the church, and this is the power of the mission of the church, well then finally we see in verses 12 through 14 what we need to do. We need to be praying about this mission and asking for God's power in verses 24. What was, the, what was the response of these disciples who heard these marvelous words as the Lord was departing? Well, they returned as they were instructed to Jerusalem. They uh, came to the upper room, and it says that they were of one mind and of one heart devoted to prayer. What were they doing? Well, they were waiting. They were waiting on what God had promised from Christ. But as they waited, it wasn't a passive waiting. It wasn't just kind of, you know, at, you're at the airport or you're at a bus stop and you're just killing time. Now, this, this is a different kind of waiting. It was with activity. It was with intention. It was with expectation. You see, when the church gathered to pray, they were knocking on the door of heaven. They were saying, oh, Lord, oh, ascended Christ, oh, our Father, to whom we have been reconciled, send now the promise of the Holy Spirit that we may follow what Christ commanded us to do. When the church gathers together to worship God, when we gather together to pray, that is what we are doing too. We are knocking on the door of heaven, expecting that God who has promised will open that door, that the floodgates will be released, that His Spirit will indeed come and abide with us and empower us to do the very things that are impossible for us to do, but that are possible for God. Now, notice also that the believers were of one accord. What a beautiful picture of a church that is united. And, and where did that unity come from? Well, it came from a single-hearted vision that came from the Lord Himself. It was Christ's mission before it was the church's mission. And it is our coming and following the King, and it is our being a part of His kingdom that provides that basis of that unity. And we set aside all of our petty interests and of our you know, self-directed concerns, and we say, I want to do what the Lord calls me to do, and you want to do what the Lord calls you to do, so let's pray together that the Lord will do it through us. If we are serious about the mission of the church, well then, we have to pursue this mission in prayer. Whether it's in Wales, or whether it's in Japan, or Spain, or whether it's here in Colombia. Anywhere we are about the business of the Lord, we have to be about the business of prayer. Remember the story of Elijah? God had called him to confront the prophets of Baal. And there was a challenge between the, the prophets of Baal and the one prophet of the Lord, Elijah. And they both had this challenge. They were, they were two sacrifices, and the one that could, could call upon their God and, and, and the fire would come down, then they said, well, that was the true God. Of course, you know the prophets of Baal failed for all of their efforts and for all of their uh, activity. But the, what did Elijah do? He simply prayed. One, one author said, why was it that fire came down from heaven? They said, because fire went up to heaven in prayer. And I'll tell you, that's what the Lord's calling us to do here. That's the example of the church. Why did the fires of Pentecost come? 
because the fires of prayer were burning in the upper room. And if we want to see the Lord continue to bring the fires of ministry, bring the fires of of zealous service, bring the fires of a faithful and holy and simple life, lived in dependence and contentment upon God our Father, well then we need that fire of prayer to be ever burning in our hearts. The Old Testament temple was called to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And one of the great things about the temple is that the fires were never to go out. There was always to be that remembrance before the Lord. And we who are the temple of God today are called to a life of continual prayer. Yes, there are seasons of prayer, but there is to be a a prayerful dependence that characterizes all of our days. It has been said that every remarkable work of God, we think of revivals or great movements in the church, every remarkable work of God is traceable to some remarkable work of prayer. Spurgeon used to give a a tour of his church in London, and he would take people, you know, see the the worship hall, and and come over here and, you know, see the fellowship hall. And then he'd say, I'm going to take you to the power room of the church. And he would take them down to a a door in the, a a room in the cellar, and and you would open the door, and what was happening? In In the power room, it was a prayer room. He said, he who has the key of prayer can open the gate of heaven. Jesus said, knock and it will be opened to you. Ask and you will receive. Psalm 2, the Lord says, he invites us, doesn't he? He says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. Ask for the, king, ask for the kingdom to be restored to the king. It's a kingdom of people like you and me who are lost and having no righteousness or hope of our own. But it's a kingdom that relies 100% on the grace of the king. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Think about those missionaries again. Think about your own context and your household or what you're facing as a church. What are we doing here? Well, if we're doing anything, may it by the grace of God be the mission of Christ to worship him, to nurture God's people, to be witnesses to all the world. And if we're going to be about that, we need the Holy Spirit and we need to be praying. And thank you for what you do to be on Christ's mission and to rely on the Spirit and to be so faithful in prayer. You're a blessing to one another and you're a blessing to the nations, and may that continue and grow to the glory and God of the Father. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mission to save sinners, to restore the kingdom to the king. Thank you that we're part of that, and we're able to witness to it. Lord, we need you, because in ourselves we can't. But, O Lord, we take great confidence that as we abide in Christ and cling to him for very life and breath itself, you will make us fruitful in your service. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.